The Real Men Connect podcast is brought to you by SoulCon Ministries, helping disciple men in a digital world. To find out more about the SoulCon Challenge, the six-week Special Forces Challenge for Christian men, just go to soulcon.com. We're blessed to have the Basic Solutions Group as one of our ministry partners. The Basic Solutions Group is one of the leading app creators for ministries worldwide. So whether you want to maximize your impact or multiply your ministry's message, then check out the Basic Solutions Group at basicsolutionsgroup.com. And to see what they can do for you, just go to your app store and download our Real Men Connect app for free on any Android, iPhone, or mobile device or tablet. Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame. Just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory. Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, on your job, and in your community. Today we have with us Mitch Cruz, and Mitch is the co-author of Street Smarts from Proverbs, How to Navigate Through Conflict to Community. But you may know Mitch from the Restoration Road with Mitch Cruz, which can be seen weekly throughout the world on multiple Christian television networks, as well as NBC, ABC and MyTV in Fort Wayne, Indiana. The Restoration Road is a 30 minute broadcast set in a car collector backdrop. And Mitch teaches the Bible through stories of restoration. Now, you may be wondering why a car collector backdrop, because Mitch is also known for his contribution to the auction arena, especially in the area of collector cars and real estate. For 17 years, Mitch was owner, CEO and auctioneer of Cruise International, the world's largest collector car sales organization. Mitch and his wife, Susan, live in Auburn, Indiana on their family farm, and they have four daughters. Now, I first found out about Mitch through our closed group on social media called Real Men University. You guys have probably heard me mention that before. And that's our community where men from all over the world come together in community to grow together as husbands, fathers, and leaders. Now, you know it's not open to the public because this is a closed group, but you have to request to join in order to get admitted to the campus. And if you guys want to find out more about that, just go to realmenuniversity.com. And that's realmenuniversity.com. Well, one of the brothers in our community, and that gives me a chance to give a, sh- a quick shout out to my boy, Jay Mayo. He recommended Mitch's book, Street Smarts from Proverbs. And he said it was one of the best books. And I quote, one of the best books he's ever read in his life <laughs> and highly recommended it to the group. And you guys know me. I'm obsessive compulsive. So I immediately purchased the book electronically on my iPad. And after I started reading it, I must admit I was immediately upset because I wish I had purchased a hard copy of the book instead. I couldn't put it down. So I wanted to bring Mitch on to talk about his book, particularly one specific chapter, and you guys will see why in just a second. And I brought him on to share his testimony with us, because he has a great testimony. So with that being said, I'd like to welcome my guest, Mitch Cruz, on the Real Men Connect podcast. Welcome to the show, Mitch. Thank you, Joe. 
And Mitch, I, I mentioned to you how I heard about you. And I got to tell you, man, I wish I would have bought the hard copy of your book, man, because I'm an aggressive reader. And so when I got the iPad, the iPad is just not cutting it <laughs> when I'm reading your book because I'm highlighting everything. on. I'm like, I, I want to write. I need to write something on, on the pages. And so I will never do that again. If somebody recommends a book, highly recommends a book, I'm going out to buy the hard copy. <laughs> But man, thank you. Thank you so much, Mitch, for being on the show, because I tell you, Jay is out there going to be I know he listens to our podcast every now and then. And he's going to be blown away when he finds out that I got you to become a guest on our show. He's going to be thrilled, man. Thank you, Jay. (laughs) And Mitch, uh, let's start. You know, I got a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about. I told you in particular, chapter two of your book, which the audience is going to find out a little bit more about that in a second. But let's start like I always do with all our guests. I asked them to give me um, a a scripture verse, their anchor verse, sort of like their their go-to verse that gives them inspiration from the Word of God. What's yours, man? Mine is Matthew 11, 28. Come to me all, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And rest there means restoration. And uh, there was a time in my life when I was weary and burdened and God made me new again. And that's his heart and what he wants to do for everybody. You know, and, I, and I love that verse. And Mitch, that's a great segue into getting into our discussion, because I do want to talk about the book. But, man, I, they would kill me if they read your book and saw and heard your testimony. And they said, you didn't talk to him about his testimony <laughs> because you being in um, working with cars and collecting cars. I mean, that's to a man's heart. man. we love automobiles and you seem to be what we wish we were in that a dream field. But obviously for you to go from doing that to writing a book like you did that's blessing so many people across the country. Tell us a little bit about your story. Give us the kind of ESPN version of how you went from where you were to where you are today. Sure. I grew up going to church three times a week and grew up in a family auction business that needed to be restored. Uh, My dad had lost everything, had probably 1,500 lawsuits, thousands of creditors. And I really wasn't sure when I was going to college whether I was going to do something else or actually try to be part of the resurrection of my family auction business. And I started a new company my senior year in college. And I'm telling you, God just honored my heart and blessed it. And uh, it was back when Ronald Reagan was president and the economy was on fire. And I made a bit of a mistake. (laughs) I thought it was all about me. Mm -hmm. I tell you, after about, oh, 10 years in the marketplace, I realized that I had put God in my back pocket as an insurance policy and maintained control of my own life. And therefore, I didn't really have the heart transformation that he had honored and was working in me in the beginning. And on July 1st, 1992, after our business had declined for 24 straight months, and I really didn't know how we were going to make it week to week. The IRS raided us because they thought we were money launderers. Oh, boy. <laughs> Joe, Thomas, you and the courts of later agreed we were not money launderers. But it was from large cash deposits from the gate receipts of our Labor Day weekend event, which was the third largest crowd drawing event in Indiana. And somehow, I don't know, they just thought that's part of what we were involved with. And it made no sense. Nobody called me first. Nobody sat down and asked me. They just did it this way. Well, that night, uh, I got on the knees beside my bed and I said, God, I don't know what I'm asking, but I want to make my business a ministry. I thought whatever I wanted to accomplish, I could accomplish with you 
but I am no longer my mother's son. I, I am not the person my mother trained, and I, I don't know what's going on in my life. And, and but I want to make my business a ministry. I'm not asking you to eliminate any consequences. I'm not trying to make a deal with you. Mm-hmm. This is my heart, and I'm telling you, Joe. That next day, I sought out the most righteous person, yet the most accepting person I knew. He was an attorney. He was my uncle, and he was my dad's brother. And at that time, it was challenging to be in business with my dad. He's a fearless politician. He had been, been the youngest state senator in the nation, and it's kind of like he never forgot it. Mm-hmm. He was like Barnum. And I had a more financially or fiscal responsibility about me than him. He just always thought that the, you know, the next deal would come. You didn't have to worry about it, and I'm wired a little differently. And especially when you got a business degree, you start seeing something differently. So I crawled up the back steps of my uncle's law office, met with him in a storage room with bookshelves all around it, unfinished. And he asked me a question that changed my life. He said, Mitchell, have you ever thought about changing the scorecard of your life from money to wisdom? Now, I told you I grew up going to church three times a week. I had no idea what he meant by wisdom. I knew Solomon had asked for it. Mm -hmm. He defined it as God's righteousness combined with street smarts. Isn't that something? And to me, that began a journey of me with an insatiable thirst for the scriptures and the wisdom of God. I began to read the Bible cover to cover every six months or a year, depending if I was reading a commentary with it. I uh, began reading Proverbs. Uh, something I had just started actually prior to this was reading a chapter a day that corresponded with the date of the month. I started meeting with him every week for the next decade, uh, which has to be close to your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched God restore my family, my business, and give me an impactful ministry out of my life. And that question really changed me forever. So if anyone's asking, I mean, listening, I'd want to ask them that question. Have you thought about changing the scorecard of your life from money to wisdom? Just like I had to bend my knees to walk up to the steps, uh, to the second floor, to that storage room. So we have to bend the knees of our heart. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord, that's reverence toward him or humility toward him is the beginning of wisdom, Mm -hmm. of, uh, of knowledge. And so we go up to, when we bend our knees of our heart, he takes us to where the vertical intersects with the horizontal. The vertical is God's heart, and the horizontal is that street smarts on how to make sense of our relationship with God in every relationship and every task. And to me, that was a picture of those bookshelves where the styles and the rails intersected uh, to form that cross. And so I'll never forget it. It's like that imagery is embedded in my mind forever. You know, and now that makes perfect sense of now why you would um, write, write your book, and especially even, I guess, give an honor to him by calling the street smarts from Proverbs. Um, you saying that's your uncle, right? Yeah. Now, was this on your mom's side or your dad's side? Your uncle? Dad's, dad's he's my, he my dad's brother. So he understood my dad and the conflict I might have with him. Mm-hmm. And it really helped me in that regard, too, because my dad was my business partner. Right. And I got to tell you, your story resonates with me because and I'm sure it can resonate with a lot of guys out there, because it seems to me that when that shift comes for us, a lot of time it is another man coming into our lives. 
who, who impacts our lives. For me, it came into when I was 33 years old and a man came into my life and hearing about how your un- uncle impacted you just resonates in my spirit. But I got to ask you this before we get into the questions about the book, because you, you bring up some some very interesting points. And Mitch, I tend to write when I'm interviewing people uh, because I just love I hear little nuggets and little mm-hmm. things that I hope that men out there who are listening, they don't miss. And you mentioned you say that you were in church three times a week. Mm-hmm. So obviously you were raised in a Christian based home. Yes. But you mentioned that as you went to college and you you started this business and it took off and God blessed it and prospered it. But you realized that you pretty much had God as an insurance policy more than anything else instead of pursuing a relationship with him. Now, what I want to know, because I I'm, I'm think I'm missing something, is how did you develop that type of relationship with God in the first place if you were raised in a Christian based home? Well, I believe that I was saved at nine, mm-hmm. nine years old. Uh, one day I walked down, uh, my church is a half mile from where I live and where I used to live. My mom lives next door. And I walked down to the church. It was always unlocked. I was nine years old. Uh, the doors were open and I walked to the front of the church where the altar was and I got out down on my knees and I figured it was just God and me. So I'd ask him what he wanted me to do with my life. And I had surrendered my life to Christ in junior church and grown up in the church, had plenty of people invest in me. And so I grew. I grew in the word. But what I did in the marketplace was develop maybe more of a dualistic approach to life. Mm -hmm. And I think I just took control away from God for a while when it came to the business. And I drifted. I drifted for sure. And I liken it a little bit to the parable of the prodigal son. I'm a recovering perfectionist, so I interpreted what I learned at church as be good, do right. Why can't everybody do that? Right. But with the complications of uh, tasks and relationships in the marketplace, that became challenging. And so I had a tendency to be like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, kind of rigid and and legalistic. Mm -hmm. But what it led to me... (laughs) was being the younger brother in the parable of the prodigal son, kind of loose and licentious. I liken the older brother's heart to a stone heart and the younger brother's to a sand heart. Stone takes a severe tool to be chiseled and restored and shaped. And sand, it kind of scatters in the wind and it needs a storm to be shaped. Mm-hmm. But the way that parable is have the heart of the father, a clay heart. And that's what happened to me, I believe, on July 1st, 1992, is that I came back to God as a prodigal. And he began to give me his heart. And so what happened was I was kind of this proud guy uh, marketing his business, never admitting wrong kind of a thing, promotions, you know, that, that kind of a thing. You're always the best. You're always the biggest at what you do. And I really shifted that day from a proud heart to a humble heart, bending my knees to the God of the universe. And that was the beginning then, like Proverbs 1, 7 and 9, 10 say, the beginning of wisdom in my life. You know, and you talk about this and touch on this in your book that I thought was really good and how you, you talked about the, the clay in the sand. And I think you mentioned in the book about how with that clay does have value after it's been shaped by the potter. <laughs> but nobody's going to pay you for sand on the beach. <laughs> I love that. Now, I want to ask you this because I really do want to get into the book. But as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, I want to ask about this, too. You mentioned, OK, now your your uncle and this is your dad's brother. Now, is your is your dad? He's still alive. Is he? Is that right? Is that correct? 
I almost lost him a few weeks ago. He oh. had open heart surgery, but he has turned the corner and he's going to be with us for a while. Oh, fantastic. Praise the Lord. But what I want to know is how does your dad, how did he feel about your relationship, your growing relationship with your uncle as he's now taking you under his wing and sort of like discipling you like he's a Paul and you're his Timothy, but yet this is your dad's son. This You're his son. Did Was there any contention there or was he very supportive? I guess I'm trying to, what was the relationship between him and his brother as res, results with and relates to you? A great question. My dad's a politician personality, so he loved it as long as he thought he could get what he wanted out of oh, it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sometimes he had to work me toward my uncle or to work my uncle, uh, work me oh, through. Oh, boy. <laughs> but, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't all bad or anything like right. that. Um, and he wasn't threatened at all by it, I don't think. Not at all, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was... In the end, it was really the best thing for our relationship. I began to honor my dad much better because in an, in an auctioneer family, when you have an argument, the way to win is you raise your voice, you make an emotional appeal, and then you won. But then the <laughs> next guy does that, and there's no end to it. Right. And say, I'm telling my uncle about this, and he said, uh, Mitchell, I've seen that. And I go, what are you talking about? Yeah, you've seen how my dad asked me something if I've done it when I did it, like, a month before, and if I waited to do it when he asked me to do it, we'd be broke. He goes, no, I've seen how you respond. I go, what? <laughs> and he said, next time, I'd like you to just picture Jesus. I go, picture Jesus where? Like on his shoulder? He goes, well, over his shoulder, that might work. And I said, you want me to picture Jesus? And he said, yes. He said, why don't you start affirming? He, he, he used the imagery of a sifter. He said, why don't you sift through the foolish things that you're learning about wisdom that he might tell you? And just ignore those, but affirm the wise. Mm. When he says otherwise, you affirm that and then honor your dad. Wow. So I'm on my way back from his office. Again, we met in that storage room all every week, all the way to my office. I forget about it. I decided I wanted to get, I think, a Diet Pepsi out of the refrigerator it kept in my dad's office. So I go up there and he does it. Man, he does it. This is like God orchestrating all this. <laughs> hey, did you do such and such? And I'm, oh my gosh. My blood starting to boil, and I'm thinking, if I would have waited to now to think about that, we'd be broke. You know, mm-hmm. the whole thing's going through my mind. Mm-hmm. I see somebody. I see Jesus behind him mm. in my mind's eye. Mm. I go, oh, here's my chance. And I said, Dad, you taught me well. He goes, huh, what? My brother and I, LM, <laughs> young brother and I say, whenever we give Dad a compliment, he wants to hear it again. What? <laughs> 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 I said, you taught me well. I said, I did it 30 days ago. And I'm starting to walk out of his office and he goes, Mitchell, you're a better man than I am. Wow. Now, I knew what that meant. Mm -hmm. My dad was in business with his dad and they used to fight all the time verbally, just like I told you. Mm -hmm. Raise emotional appeal, raise the voice. And I didn't do that. And that is what he was telling me. And I'll never forget it. It was a pivotal point in our relationship. And I try to apply that to every relationship. God's allowed me to pray with a lot of people that's trying to their lives of Christ. And I think that's the approach you need to take. Second uh, Timothy 2 says we're not really going to debate anybody or argue anybody into the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we need to have this humble heart where God's wisdom can come through in our conversation. Well, it's funny you just mentioned that Bible reference because I read that this morning in my quiet time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and it was talked about. And I wrote about that in my journal. But wow. Mm-hmm. And Mitch, which, oh man, this is good. Uh, what you're sharing with us, because even though the 
this is this show is not about now about your relationship with your dad, but there's a lot of meat in what you're saying, a lot of wisdom in what you're saying. And I promise those who will listen, we're going to get to the book. But I got to ask one more question before we go into the book, because you're your uncle again. Now, is your was your uncle? Is he older or, or younger than your dad? Younger. My dad was the oldest of seven, five boys, two girls. And my uncle was in the middle. OK. And you may not be able to answer this question, Mitch, but I'll ask it anyway. Because you're obviously your uncle seems to be a very wise man, but you're you but you just you kind of alluded to it that your grandfather was typically hard on your dad, <laughs> um, very tough. So where do you think that your uncle received his wisdom from? Where did um, he get this revelation from? This is great. My great great grandfather. Good gracious, <laughs> great great. <laughs> <laughs> a church where my brother is now the senior pastor 120 years ago. Mm-hmm. And a guy walking through our community had a vision of what would happen for a church, a country church out in the middle of nowhere on a farm, the impact that it would have. And 120 years later, growing up, you know, it was probably 80 some people when I was probably in my early 20s, mid 20s, there were 400 people. My brother became senior pastor maybe seven years ago, and now 3,500 people call at home. Wow. It's mind-boggling. But that family um, really rooted our country community, including you know the families that got together to marry, in, in a Christ-centered relationship. And so my uncle did something that he said few people will ever do because I asked him this as well. Mm -hmm. He said, I studied the Bible for myself. And he says, few men will ever do that. And he said, that will transform your life. And I made that decision in 1992 that I was going to study the Bible for myself for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, scripture started bouncing off the pages, you know, verses I might have heard growing up, but now I read them in their context and I think, oh my goodness, that didn't mean what I thought it Right, meant. right, right. It just began this huge transformation that I think God uses the word of God, the people of God, the spirit of God to make us new again. And man, the word of God did a number on me and it, it still does today. I still read it through cover to cover every year. And um, it's new to me every day. I read Proverbs, a chapter every day corresponding with the date of the month. And it's new to me every day because my circumstances are new. Mm -hmm. I'm not memorizing all thousand verses. So I tend to focus on a particular verse each day and try to have that be the lens through which I see my entire day. Right. Yeah. And I kind of do the same thing when I do my quiet time. I'll focus on just one chapter. And but I get a lot of meat. I mean, I squeeze the juice out of that chapter (laughs) and I'm asking God a million questions about it because I want to, like you say, learn it for myself. And and I see now why I'm I'm getting distracted and asking all these questions, because, you know, I told you, Mitch, before we came on the air that my heart is for discipleship and disciple making. So whenever I see or hear stories where I see a man is pouring to another man's life, it just fascinates me because 
I, I don't understand why we don't do more of that as men looking for people who looking for those Timothys like your your uncle did. And then not only us receiving as Timothys, but then going out and looking for the guy we can pour into. So, I mean, I can get carried away. And so forgive me for not getting to the book, but I just get fascinated by this. But man, and maybe I can bring you back on the show, Mitch, just to talk about your relationship with um, your uncle, because I think there's a lot we can learn from him. And obviously, as you poured it into your book. Which means now I'm going to ask you about your book <laughs> and let's talk about this. Now, Mitch, you mentioned in the book and you said the book is centered around 12 words, 12 words um, that can help us walk in the wisdom of Christ. Because obviously you said when your uncle asked you that question about, you know, what's your scorecard? How do you, are you, you know, can you change the scorecard of your life? What is it based on? Is it money or wisdom? And you mentioned 12 things. And it was righteousness, equity, justice, wise behavior understanding, wise communication, prudence, discretion, wise counsel, discipline, knowledge, and learning. Now, I know that's a lot for men to take in all at one setting or try to write down. And um, I'm also hoping that they'll sign up for your newsletter because I'm part of your newsletter. And I love how you do your newsletter, that you focus on one of those topics. And I think the last one I just got was prudence in which you talked about prudence. I don't even know if you know what's going out, <laughs> but we received <laughs> prudence in the email. But those 12 things from righteousness down to learning, could you quickly for us, because I told you there's one particular thing I want to focus on, which was in chapter two. And this has nothing. Well, I guess it does have something to do with chapter two. But I want you to quickly touch on each of those 12 and just give them a brief overview um, so they'll at least know because they when they want to find out more, they should pick up the book and read the book because it's I'm telling you, it's a fantastic book. Could you talk about those 12 things? Sure. Righteousness is what's right in God's sight. It's mm -hmm. not our own self-righteousness. Right, right. Paradigm shift. Mm -hmm. And again, these 12 words are the purpose of Proverbs for emerging leaders. So Solomon's writing to emerging leaders. So your entire audience, uh, this is just ideal for Equity is what's fair in a relationship. And the subtitle of the book is to navigate through conflict to community. Conflict is two objects attempting to occupy the same space at the same time. It might be a toddler's will against a parent. It might be two checks on the same overdrawn checking account and so on. I mean, you, you get the picture. Right. And so this is this is how we navigate through all that conflict in our lives to deepen relationships, you know, community. Justice is how to bring what's just in conflict, whereas righteousness and equity tend to focus more on what precedes conflict. Justice is usually applied to the adjustments after a conflict. Gotcha. And so there were, for each of these, as I would study Proverbs and the use of the words, there were four contextual applications I saw in each one or patterns. So with wise behavior, I write about in the book about how that's really about getting the word, getting into the word so the word gets into you mm -hmm. and then credit to God for that. But having the courage to share the word of God in a humble and wise way. Understanding is insight. I talk a little bit about how we do the five second rule that's getting plugged into the Holy Spirit. We do the times two rule that's getting what you, exactly what you preach, get a get somebody farther down the road to grow me in wisdom and understanding. Uh, I talk about the 10 second rule, the real 10 second rule. That is that we take 10 seconds, not to count to 10, but to actually take our anger to God and have him transform us on the fly. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the 20 second rule is to leave a conversation 
and think about what was in the heart of that other person. Because we have a tendency to focus on the surface and never really think about what were they really trying to tell me? What's really going to heart? That's a big one for our, uh, how we relate to our wives. Right. Prudence sounds kind of boring, but it's actually one of the best, I think, because it's about how to be shrewd yet innocent. God doesn't want us to be gullible. He wants us to be shrewd yet harmless. Discretion is the ability to separate. I use the analogy of a cream separator like my mm. grandpa had on the farm. Wise counsel is pretty self-explanatory, but Proverbs teaches us how to get it, how to discern it, and, and to recognize that really what wise counsel is doing is confirming what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. We've got to be really careful if we seek wise counsel and we didn't share with that person everything that's going on. We left right. some stuff out and then we start acting on things that we want to hear. We got to mm-hmm. be that. And then we ought to be willing to give wise counsel. Discipline. I really like this one. It's teach, train, test, transform our jobs to get ourselves out of a job. If we're discipling others, they're going to make disciples themselves and especially with our kids. Uh, knowledge is not information. Knowledge is intimacy with God. And man, does that change things. Yeah, I love that. I love that's, that. That's a bridge where we connect in another person's heart. And we can only do that through the Holy Spirit. And then learning. All of this doesn't really matter if we don't retain it. It's There's going to be very little wisdom to recall if you never put anything in. Mm-hmm. Yes, the Holy Spirit will prompt you and lead you. But man, my life changed when I started to learn this stuff and try to remember it and then apply it. And if you've never, if you can't remember it, you probably never really learned it. So I give a you know a little chapter at the end on on how just some tools on how to do that. Right. And Mitch, I'm hoping that if they just by you just even highlight it, it's bring back so many memories of some of the stories that you told <laughs> throughout the book. They just have to read the book. But you did a great job, better than I could have, of summarizing all, all 12 of them. That is good. And they can I'm, I'm, I'm sure they can hear the wisdom and even how you describe it in the paradigm shifts in some of the especially like you're talking about knowledge about it's not just about accumulating information, but about heart transformation. And so, man, I, I love that. Now, I told you that there's one one chapter in particular that I was going to jump into. But before we do that, you mentioned in the book, I can't remember exactly what chapter it was. I think it was before you got into the 12. But you had mentioned about the nuances of the word wisdom itself. And you say there's four of them. And I believe you mentioned will, intellect, spirit and emotions. Um, could you explain what you meant by that so we can have a better understanding of even defining the word wisdom? Because we think we know it. But the way you unpacked was really good. Could you share that with them? Sure. We talk about the heart a lot, mm-hmm. but we rarely define what it really means. And Dallas Willard has really researched and tried to communicate this. And so have a lot of theologians. And so I felt God gave me the acronym WISE. And so I, I say it this way, just like the human heart has the physical heart has four chambers. So the spiritual heart has four chambers. Now they're not totally separate from each other. It's a little more like soup. But as I talk about wisdom being the vertical intersecting with the horizontal, that leaves four quadrants. So it's just a picture you can remember. But the W W is will. It's the chamber of my choices. And so I have to choose wisdom. I have to humble my will to God and choose wisdom. 
the eyes, the intellect, or the mind, and that's the chamber of our thoughts. And I have to believe or think to humble my heart in order to experience wisdom. And that's kind of where learning comes in as well. Mm-hmm. S is the spirit. It's the lead chamber of our prayers. Paul says, I, I pray with my mind, but we, the, the lead chamber in, in, in praying is, is the spirit. It's that vertical connection to God. And so to have wisdom, we need to pray for wisdom. And then finally, the E is emotions. It's the chamber of our feelings. And so so choose to, think to, pray to, want to. And that's what humbling your heart to God for wisdom looks like. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. I love that. I love that. You know, and as great as your book um, is, I, I tell you, the thing that stood out most to me was chapter two. And, and I know it sounds crazy, but it was like one of the main reasons I brought you on the show is just so you can unpack that. And I guess because it fascinated me how you you discussed it and how you addressed it, because also I think it convicted me as well. I'm like, wow, that's me. I see myself in there. But you defined five stages of foolishness <laughs> when it comes to even a, addressing the topic of wisdom and how each stage increases um, in the hardening of our hearts. And mm-hmm. I would like to use the remainder of our showtime together to for you to unpack that for us. Because one, like I said, it was eye opening to me. It was a revelation to me. And I've never heard anybody discuss it the way you described it. And two, you could have and probably should have written a whole book on the topic. Did you even think about possibly just writing a whole book on just on the foolishness <laughs> that we get stuck in as men? I mean, that could have been a whole book by itself. And yeah, really. But the third reason is because I think most, if not all men, can relate to these stages, or at least they know a man who can. So if you don't mind, Mitch, and as you talk about them, I'm going to have some, you know, I have some other questions as we go through each one of them, because I really believe when they hear this from you, it's going to really bless their socks off. So if you don't mind, talk about each of those types of fools and do it in the order that you put it in the book was a simple fool, stupid fool a stubborn fool, a scorning fool, and the godless fool, or what we call the secular fool. So if you can cover those for us, and I have questions with each one of those. Could you talk about those for us, please? Sure. We begin with the simple fool. We're going to go from gullible to godless, and it begins as wet cement, and it ends as cured concrete. Mm. So there is this progression in the Hebrew on the use of the word fool, the five words for fool, in Proverbs. Uh, There is a progression in the hardening of the heart. And so a simple fool, Proverbs 14, 15 says, he believes anything, but a prudent man gives thoughts to his steps. So we're just gullible. Mm -hmm. We want to hear what we want to hear and we want to act upon what we want to hear. And usually if you're gullible, when you're finally, you know, confronted with wisdom, you'll respond. The next level is the stupid fool. And the stupid fool is one who repeats the simple or gullible behavior. And the stupid fool is dangerous with money. Solomon said, of what use is money in the hand of a simple fool Mm -hmm. since he has no desire to get wisdom? The stupid fool begins to trust in his own heart. Man, as I'm teaching this, I'm thinking about how I how I did this before God transformed me. Yeah, me too. That's when I was reading it. But go ahead. (laughs) Our culture culture tells us to do this. I'm not blaming. Right the culture, but it's just all around us is to trust in yourself, man. Mm -hmm. It's all about you. It it leads us to the next stage. And that's the stubborn fool. 
Now, the stubborn fool is right as a, in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he despises wisdom and discipline, and he's full of folly. So now we're not just repeating the simple behavior. We're repeating the stupid behavior, a little heart, more hardness of heart. And that gets really, really dangerous. But, you know, if you might be a stupid fool if <laughs> you always have to be right. You resist advice. You despise wisdom and discipline. You're full of folly, repeating that stupid behavior, including outbursts of anger. Your heart's so hard that you show your annoyance at once, refusing to overlook an insult. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're quick to quarrel, and you scoff at the thought of making amends. That's what the stupid fool, I mean the stubborn fool is. So we went simple, stupid, stubborn. Stubborn's repeating the stupidity. Mm -hmm. The scorning fool. This, let me say it this way, this is pretty bad. Um, yeah. <laughs> the scorning fool becomes averse to wisdom. The scorning fool will cause dissensions in organization. And Proverbs 22.10 says that a scorning fool or a mocker needs to be removed from an organization and it will thrive. The scorning fool is opposed by God. Proverbs 3.34 that uh, Peter quoted I believe James quoted him. He mocks proud mockers, but gives grace to the humble. Mm-hmm. If you are a scorning fool, you are causing dissension in an organization, and you are starting to bump your chest into God, and you're going to feel that opposition. Mm. And then that leads to the secular or the godless fool, and he finally exalts himself rather than God. Now, there's probably no listener on this podcast that thinks he has exalted himself prior right. to God. In fact, there's a country where the leader just got it all over with and said, I'm not just king, I'm deity. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I mean, it still happens today, but probably not your listeners. But here's what we do. We take an area in our lives and we exalt ourselves above God in that area. Right. I'm not a God in here. And so I would just ask somebody listening, you know, is there an area in which you refuse to see God's heart by way of a thought, choice, feeling, or prayer? You know, are you living on autopilot apart from God? Have you put him in your back pocket and found that the uh, safest way to avoid trans- heart transformation is to do that and maintain control of your own life? Mm-hmm. Uh, you need more and more of your fix of choice to advance your own earthly kingdom at the expense of Christ because you perceive your desires are not truly satisfied in him. What's changed me probably as much as anything, but I need to be reminded and retooled and refocused on this on a daily basis because our Western culture tells me the opposite is Proverbs 8. I mean, I'm sorry, Romans 829. Uh, we, we all know Romans 828. Right. All work together for good for those who love the Lord and call according to his purpose. But what is good? What is God's definition of success? And that's Romans 8, 29, and that is to shape us like Christ. That changes the scorecard for everything. Mm-hmm. In lose or draw, in the marketplace, on the courts of competition, in the fields of competition, uh, my heart can be shaped to be like Christ. And Christ suffered a little bit. It doesn't always work out in our worldly favor. But win, lose, or draw, God's definition of success is that our hearts would be shaped like Christ. And that changes everything. 
changes everything on how we approach conflict and how we keep score. Wow. Man, Mitch, this is so good, man. And I'm and then hearing it from you after reading the book, I mean, you explained it so well. You know, I think the most humbling thing for me as I was reading through it and I'm seeing it for the first time is because I did fall under conviction because no one wants to believe that he exalts himself above God. He said, I don't claim to be a deity, but just the way you explained it um, just now and in your book, too, that. We may not look in, not on a bigger scale, but in some areas of our lives, if we look closely enough and we ask God to reveal to us how he sees us through his His lens of love, God will reveal to you in your spirit. Yes, you have exalted yourself above me in that area. No, you won't surrender that to me. No, your heart is hardened in that particular area. So it was a very humbling chapter, chapter for me because I never saw myself through the lens of what kind of fool have I been or am being? And if anything, I don't mind conviction because I know I have a, a Lord and Savior who's going to help me walk in the spirit and the truth to say, God, I humble myself before you now transform my life in those areas. So I want to start. Let's go back to the simple fool, because most of us think that, you know, the the godless fool that, oh, that, I'm not going to have to worry about that. But this <laughs> and we'll get to, but you covered it so well to say, you know, maybe, no, you're not trying to claim to be you know, a deity, but in certain areas of your life, are there certain areas that you exalt yourself higher thinking, you know, better? And oh, I will tell you this, now the way I kind of helped me kind of, um, to remember these. And when I, when it came to the simple fool, I said, yes, he, he's gullible. I say, he's naive. He doesn't know better. That's what I said. Like, okay. He doesn't know better. And I said, the stupid fool, I said, he should know better, but he tends to repeat <laughs> what he did. I said, should know better. And I said, the stubborn fool is, I said, he thinks he knows better than everybody else. And I said, the scorning fool, I said, he knows better, but he refuses to do better. And I said, the secular fool or the godless fool, I said, he thinks he knows better than God does. Man, that, can you email that? Do you want me to send you that? I'll send you that. <laughs> yeah, that's how I help me to, to understand it. Ending. But, you know, I'm an educator, so I got to make stuff simple for me <laughs> so to understand. But that's how I got it. But let's go back to the, the simple fool, Mitch. And I want to know, how do we as men, because I, I tell you the one that was a neon sign for me was the stupid fool. And we'll get to that in a second. But um, the simple fool, how do we get as men, how do we get stuck there? And how do we get unstuck from being simple, gullible and naive? You had a funny story, but I don't mean you have to share that story. But how do we get unstuck from being simple? Well, in all of these, we need to turn to God. When David might have had a simple fool mindset, uh, he responded when he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. Right. And and he repented. And so we need to be open and humble enough to receive the wisdom or the correction or discipline from God. But a real simple way to, to understand the simple fool or the gullible fool is, hey, if you made a mistake and your wife has pointed out let's say this time in a loving and gentle way that you've made the mistake. Mm -hmm. We have a tendency as men to pretend in order to defend. Yes. Um, I talk about this as the fool gets harder, but we pretend that we were right to defend our faulty, foolish position. And I would say, just say, you know what? I did. I really did. Mm -hmm. I, I was just, thinking about this, you know, whatever it was, and then move on. 
as, as opposed to stirring it up, digging your heels in, and pretending in order to defend your faulty position. A, a simple fold, a way to get out of that is to be soft in your heart mm-hmm. toward any correction that comes your way. Give thought to your steps. You know, and I guess in a sense, Mitch, that that would apply to really all of them in a sense that it comes down. It starts with you being humble. You said you you quote him that in the Bible that he says, um, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So it all starts with that humility. And so I, I like that. Now, let's go to the stupid fool, which was like me with bells and whistles on it. <laughs> and I said that he should know better. I, this is how I scream this myself, that he should know better, but he tends to repeat his mistakes. And and I'll, cause I always have the phrase, I don't like being stuck on stupid. That's what I always use that phrase. I'm stuck on stupid sometimes. And a lot of us, I realize that I'm not the only one. A lot of us do this. Why do you think we don't learn from our mistakes and why we continue to repeat them if we are seeking God? Well, Billy Joel said, Mistakes are the only things you can truly call your own. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I think it comes from a progressive nature of trusting in ourselves rather than God. Mm-hmm. The stupid fools begin to trust in himself. Yeah. Other than God. So it's a little bit like me. My business starts becoming successful at the beginning and I start trusting in myself rather than God. Right. Oh, I, I start thinking I'm pretty good at this. Mistakes included. You start to overlook them and think, well, that's, that's no big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, I really fixed it. <laughs> yeah. And you go through it that way. So the stupid fool really comes down to a trust issue. The problem is that we're trusting in ourselves. The answer is that we got to begin to learn how to take steps to trust in God and get away from that self-trust. Right. And so what I'm hearing here and I'm writing this down in my notes is that we can't forget how we got there. You know, yeah. we, we got God took us there. So don't forget how you got there. Don't forget that he it was through him that you were able to do what you're doing. And so that's that's great. I'm glad you you pointed that out. Now, let's look at the um, <laughs> look at the stubborn fool. I said the way I described that, I said he thinks he knows better than everyone else. <laughs> All right. So. What are some of the, yeah, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I want you to touch on it again because I, I, I know a lot of men in, in the stubborn fool area. Now, I got a lot of faults, but my wife will say, at least Joe knows he doesn't know, you know. <laughs> but what are some of the signs we should look for when we're crossing that line now becoming a stubborn fool? And how can we combat that? Well, we have to be right all the time. Mm-hmm. We resist advice. Mm start to despise wisdom and discipline because it's going to take something from us that we're finding our identity in. Mm -hmm. We're full of folly. We're repeating the stupid behavior and it's, it tends to be outbursts of anger. If you have the outbursts of anger thing is, is might be one of your issues that's getting into this uh, stubborn fool category. Okay. If your heart's so hard, you start to show your, that you're annoyed or angry right at once when Proverbs 12, 16 says it's to your glory to overlook an insult, but a fool shows his, a, a stubborn fool shows his annoyance at once. You're, I, I call it quick to pick and stick. We're quick to quarrel, pick a fight and stick the blame to someone else. Mm-hmm. And you'll notice that somebody, maybe you know somebody, if it's not you, who's a stubborn fool. Right. That person blames people all the time. It's always somebody else's yeah, fault. Yeah, yeah. Those radars need to come up right mm-hmm. away to mm-hmm. understand what you're dealing with. 
and what they're probably saying about you when you're not there. We have a tendency to provoke more negative conflict where there's at least, I talk about positive conflict versus negative conflict in the book and negative conflict means there's at least one sinful option. And so we, we tend to provoke more of that. We don't even have an inkling anymore as a stubborn fool of making amends uh, from the damage that we've done. Mm-hmm. We're just, our heart's becoming pretty hard. And so we really need to get back, in my opinion, when we're uh, the stubborn fool, to understanding God's love, his grace, his mm-hmm. undeserved love, his unmerited favor. And we need to realize that he bottom lined the whole deal in Jesus Christ as loving God and loving others. And so we got to ask ourselves, am I really doing the self-sacrificial thing with God? Mm-hmm. And is that evidenced in my horizontal relationships? Paul said, to the weak I become weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul uh, followed Jesus's model. He met people where they were. He searched for common ground in order to connect others with wisdom. And God desires that we do the same. Mm-hmm. So we need to be open to God's measuring uh, stick of love and get away from that self-absorption. Wow, man, Mitch, this is so good, man. And so I'm hearing we, with a simple fool, we say, man, we need to be humble to get out of that. With um, the stupid fool, we need to start trusting God more. And what I'm hearing now, what you're saying when it comes to even with the stupid fool, that we need to um, understand God's grace and extend it to others. Mm -hmm. And wow, wow, that is good. That is good. Now, I want to ask you this. We want to the, the scorning fool. And we say that that different like I you know, I was thinking when you said the stupid fool, he said he knows better, but he tends to repeat his mistakes. But the scorning fool, he knows better, but he refuses to do better. Now, there's a distinct there's gotta be a difference between the scorning fool and the stupid fool. What makes them different? Because they sound kind of similar. The scorning fool has such a harder heart mm-hmm. that he's actually ruled by arrogance. Okay. He becomes arrogant in this fact. He starts bumping his chest against God. And when you do that, you're not going to, you're not going to respond to wisdom um, at all, unless your heart changes. You're going to be causing dissension in every organization you're in, including your home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're going to start sensing God's opposition. And this is a really bad place to be. A scorning fool really needs to be removed from an organization. I'm telling you, if you're employing a scorning fool right now, you probably need to give that guy one more shot. But then if, it, if there is no change, you will be amazed at what will happen to your organization if the scorner and mocker is removed. Uh, it will thrive. You don't realize how bad that is affecting the people you come in contact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I'm not saying a simple fool or stupid. I'm talking about a scorner and a mocker who's who's so arrogant that they're mocking the mission and vision of what you're trying to accomplish. And so when, when you're in this stage, you really need that hard repentance. You're probably going to get 
a storm come your way. And as your world's starting to fall apart, what you knew and found comfort and identity in, I, I would just, I would say it this way, <laughs> repent early. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> the longer you take, the harder it's going to be. Wow. Uh, and so we, we really, it's, it's, it's Paul kicking against the goats. Why, Paul, why are you kicking against the goats, man? Uh, when Jesus says that to him and that's what he's saying to us. Mm-hmm. And so Paul needed to be blinded to look inside for a few days in order to have this happen, you know? So I would just say repent early. Wow. You know, and what I'm going to do, we're going to close out with that being the last question, because I wanted to get into the man of questions. I told you our infamous man of questions, Mitch, but you've given us a lot to chew on, a lot to think about. And also that gives me another reason to bring you back on the show so I can ask you the man of questions the next time you come back on. But this this has been fantastic. So even though we're in a little bit early, because I know I wouldn't have time for the man of questions. If you know, we talked about the book and I, I wanted to focus particular, particularly on chapter two. But if you what I guess, what do you hope men will gain by reading your book? Because obviously they can see the wisdom that's in it. But what would you hope that they gain by picking this book up and and diving into it in this topic of wisdom and, and getting wisdom from God? A closer relationship with God that's fleshed out in deeper relationships with other people. I really think we ding the kingdom of God by not prioritizing relationships. Yeah. Even when even when things are difficult. Now, people, some of the listeners will hear me say that, and they think I mean love apart from truth. Mm-hmm. So license, they, they, you know, you gotta whatever. No matter what anybody's doing, it's it's right and it's okay. No, I'm talking about having the difficult conversations in love, speaking the truth in love. Jesus Christ came full of grace and truth. So it's just like my uncle did with me. Can you imagine if I went to meet with him and he said, oh, Mitch, it really doesn't matter too much. Just do the best you can. And, you know, you know, kind of, you know, uh, love God, roll on. You know? yeah, you're right. But he challenged me to what the precious, priceless wisdom of the scriptures uh, communicate. And that changed my life. And that's what's going to equip you to not only be disciple, but to disciple than others who will make disciples. Right. And Mitch, thank you so much for um, writing this book, man. It's, it, it's great. It's a great read. It's, it's fun to read because you're sharing a lot of your story, personal story in there. And I'm hoping the men could um, understand now why we had to have you on the show to talk about this. But if they wanted to find out more about either, I don't know whether how to get the book or to find out more about you, what would be the best way for them to get in contact with you? Go to MitchCruz.com. It's M-I-T-C-H-K-R-U-S-E.com. And you can learn about the book. You can sign up for our devotional, but it, you can see our 300 and some archived episodes in HD with uh, people who have shared their stories of restoration and the teaching that we do as well. And we have a lot of fun with it. But go to MitchCruz.com. All right. Fantastic. And I'm telling you, they're going to love your website and it's so well organized. I tell you, I get your newsletter when, and how you, you put those out and you talk about those 12, those 12 areas, which I think will bless any man who signs up for your newsletter. So I hope that they do that. And we will also put um, your contact information. They want to find you on social media. All that will be in the show notes as well. And I'm hoping that they do reach out to you, Mitch. Um, and I hope that they do indeed get the book. And I thank Jay for recommending your book to me. And now we've recommended that book to other men as well. Well, and if there's anything I can do to help you expand your platform and get your book out there to more people, you just let me know, man. I will do it anytime. So thank you for being on the show. 
Thank you, Joe. And to all of you guys out there listening, please do us a favor. And this is so important. Take about 30 seconds to go over to iTunes and rate the program for us, because it's the best way to help us get this program in the hands, ears and hearts of men just like you. And please don't keep us a secret. Sharing is caring. So share us with your friends. So until next time, I'm Joe Martin, your man builder with RealMenConnect.com, reminding you that we are males by birth. But we are men by choice. So each and every day, choose to be the man God called and created you to be because a male is a terrible, terrible, terrible thing to waste. So until next time, stay strong, stay blessed. And as always, stay in God's grip. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Real Men Connect is a listener-supported podcast, and we're now the number one radio podcast on iTunes for Christian men. If this podcast has blessed you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to bless and transform the lives of even more husbands, fathers, sons, and leaders, please prayerfully consider supporting this ministry. Just go to realmenconnect.com and click on the donate button. And may God bless your faithful giving.